listening to the Seven Rivers Student Ministry Podcast, a ministry of Seven Rivers Church in Citrus County, Florida. Here at SRSM, we believe that all students are lovable through a relationship with Jesus. Visit our website at sevenrivers.org backslash students. You know, we, you know, we have these on Spotify. No, no. Yeah, Mikey makes us record it, and oh, I hate listening to myself talk. But, um, so we're going to be going through Titus again this week. And last week, Sam talked about the gospel um, of Jesus that is offered to everyone. And uh, just kind of remind you guys of the context. This is Paul writing um, to people that are characterized by who they worship. So what they worship is driving how they act. It's driving how they live. And these people are called Cretans. And last week we talked about how Cretans worship Greek gods. So like Zeus, Aphrodite, all of those crazy gods that were men or women and that became gods. And so these are the people that they are worshiping and they are acting like them. And how those gods act are awful. They mistreat women. They are liars. Uh, they're lazy. They're gluttons. They're sexually immoral. And um, yeah, last week Sam talked about how our generation, Gen Z, mine and yours, is actively seeking out what the church is about and who um, the church is for. That's kind of like a question that we want. Is it for the well put together? Is it for the one that you expect to be at church? Or is it for the outcast? Is it for the one that makes you raise your eyebrow when they walk into church and you're like, oh, I don't really want to sit next to them? Or during the greeting time, I don't want to say hi to them. Or yeah, is it, yeah, is it for everyone? And this week I want to press um, one of the questions I think that our generation has, especially about church and Christians, is Christians being hypocrites? Um, Paul's letter here is addressing that. It's addressing Christians who say that they love God and they're Christians and they're all about Jesus, but they really believe in the culture and the pagan culture um, that they're in. They're just like the Cretans who are liars. And I think our generation really can see that and discern that and just bash Christianity for it. Um, so yeah, I want to be wrestling with that tonight. I want to be wrestling with fake Christianity and what real Christianity looks like. Because um, this is not the gospel of Jesus. This is not the gospel that Paul is talking about. So, this week we're going to be looking at the gospel that changes you. Changes me. If you read this book, it's only three chapters. You can probably read it in like five, ten minutes. You'll see that Paul is going crazy about living 
um, a certain way, living a godly way, living an upright way. And he's making the case, I think, um, that believing in the gospel changes you from the inside out. So the Cretans believed that you change from the outside in. So you become, you're a man, you're born a man or a woman, and then you become a god. It's not that you become a child of God, and then that is what changes you from the inside out, from the outside in. And so, I want to ask this question, where are you? Where are you? Are you the Christian that might be faking it? This past weekend at our midwinter, we talked about going all in for Jesus and what that means to take up your cross. Or, do you think that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites and you're just here for Taco Bell because who doesn't love Taco Bell and games and clapping for volunteers and for friends? Um, and you're not attracted to the gospel at all. You're not attracted to Jesus. So, um, if you would, bow your heads with me, and we're going to pray and get started. Uh, Father, Father, you are good and we are not. We believe whatever crosses our Instagram feeds, um, whether it's true or not, we don't care. We just want to know if it'll be funny. We want to know if it'll be the popular thing. Um, we're so small and fickle and so easy to follow the tides. Be with us now as we open your word. Um, yeah, be with us, Father. We need you. Through Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So, first thing, um, we're going to read chapter 2 of Titus, verses 11 through 14. You can follow along if you want. Paul says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from from all wickedness and to purify for himself people that are his very own, and that are eager to do what is good. So, first thing we noticed, Sam talked about this last week, but the grace of God, the salvation of God, is offered to all people. It's offered to the outcast, to the broken, to the depressed, to the anxious, to the hurting, to the lonely. Um, and if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the Gospels in the Bible, you'll see just how true this is. Jesus doesn't go to the people that are in power, to the people that have the most influence in the community. He goes to the prostitute. He goes to the disabled. He goes to people who experience racism. He goes to children who can't offer him anything. He goes to blind people. He goes to a woman with internal bleeding. He goes to people that are literally, because of their leprosy, untouchable. And so many more. This is the salvation that... I'm talking about. This is the grace that I'm talking about. It's not popular. It's not for people who think they have it all together. It is for them. But it's not attractive to them because they think they have it all together. It's attractive to those who are hurting. And if you're in here tonight, I just hope that you can pray that you can see this gospel for what it is. It's for those who are unlovable. And do you know that you need this grace? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel sad? Do you feel like nothing's going your way? 
Do you need this grace? And the next thing that we notice is that grace does something to us. So God's grace, God's salvation, it teaches us. In verse 12, it says that. It says, it, it referring to God and his grace, teaches us to say no. So it's teaching us something. It's providing something in us to do something. Grace isn't just a one-time security deposit for you to go to heaven, even though it is what saves us. But it's actually what fuels our whole lives and drives us the rest of our life. And uh, this past weekend, on Sunday night, we had a really powerful moment. Um, Yeah, a lot of us were just moved by the Spirit that night. And I had a student ask, how do you, after a moment like this, where there's emotions and where you're being vulnerable um, with others, where you're being honest about your struggles, how do you like continue that? Two weeks from now, when you're in school, you're in the grind, you've got sports, you're tired. How do you continue to live as a Christian? That's pretty much what he was saying. And I want to say that the only way to live as a Christian is through grace. The only way is to live through grace. The only way to live is to live a life that is a reflection of God. The people that Paul is writing to, the people in Crete, were living just like their gods. Lying, lazy, sexually exploiting others, violent, bloodthirsty, racist, immoral, just awful. And they believed that about the people that they were worshiping. And we see in verse 12 that the Christian is actually supposed to live the opposite of what the world tells us to. So the Cretes are liars, evil brutes are violent, and lazy gluttons, which just means they have no self-control. Christians, in verse 12, are to live soberly and with self-control, which is the opposite of gluttony. We're called to live justly and upright, the opposite of violence. And we're called to live honestly and godly, the opposite of lying. And this is what the grace and salvation of God is teaching us right here in this passage. Teaching us that it infects us from the inside. It does something in our hearts and it changes from the inside out. This is the grace that if you are in Christ, you have been given. And these are the ways that Paul wants us to act as Christians. And so... If you're sitting here and you're just like, oh, here's another thing. Can't do that. I fail all the time. God will never love me because I'm so far from living for him. It's important to continue reading verses 13 through 14. because Those are for you because it gives us the answer as to why we can live in a world for God. Why we can live in a world that's so broken. And I already kind of talked about one grace. But in verse 13, we see that hope is the motivating factor. It's the thing that, you know, if you're a parent and you got kids, what motivates you to get up and to work and to provide? It's your kids. That's what drives you. If you are on a sports team, what motivates you to work out and get healthy and strong, um, to play well and perform? Um, if you're, you know, in school, what motivates you to get up? Good grades, but maybe not for some of you. Maybe it's just seeing friends or hanging out with people. But we see in this verse that hope is what is motivating us. What is motivating us? What is motivating you um, right now? This passage says that the, um, 
appearing. Well, I lost my um, the appearing of Jesus Christ is what our hope is. That Jesus will appear in glory. And what is this glory? What is this hope? I think sometimes, at least for me, especially in high school, I thought of glory, thought of Jesus' glory as him just coming down on a huge horse and judging a bunch of people. Um, and honestly, that's kind of terrifying because I know how broken I am. I know that Jesus can just look right through me. Um, and I don't, want, I don't want that. I need grace. Um, but in Revelation, we see something a little bit different. Um, we see that the glory that Jesus is going to come down with is that of redemption and purifying. And um, this past Easter, I came down here to visit Seven Rivers with my uh, fiance. And I already got hired and just come and worship and see some of you guys, see some parents, see some staff people. And um, on the way back, Easter Sunday, uh, I got a call from my mom. And she said, you know, we, me and your dad, we want to talk to the whole family the next day. And just tell you something that we just found out. And usually that's always a red flag, especially with my family, because we never really talk all together. The last time we did something like that, something, something else, other uh, bad happened. So I knew as soon as I ended the phone call with her, I'm like, oh, man, what is this happen- what's happening? And I found out that my uh, dad had stage or has stage four cancer. Um, and not a whole lot they can do. Zoom fine now, but uh, on, on a lot of trials. But I remember when they told me that I was like just about to graduate. I was just about to move down here. And I was like, man, what is what does it mean that I have hope right now? What does it mean that? The hope that I have of Jesus' glory coming down. How does that, like, is that good? I don't really feel good about that. But it only, I only didn't feel good about it because I thought it was something that Jesus was just going to come down and judge a bunch of people. But what glory means, what Jesus' glory means is that one day cancer will be dead. What hope means is that when Jesus loves me so much and loves you and he hurts so much more than you or I will ever hurt over the brokenness of the world it means that he's going to put it right one day this past uh, this past weekend heard some stories from you, um, you guys and it was at the same time awesome but also just heartbreaking hearing about death in families, some of you not having a mom or a dad or both, <coughs> hearing about trauma, hearing about how, um, how unworthy and lonely you guys feel, hearing about betrayal, hearing about how you don't know if you're loved, um, all of these things and so much more that you guys are feeling is wicked and is just not right. It's not pure. And this passage in Titus tells us that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' glory, Jesus' power uh, when he comes back is going to look like wiping every tear from your eye. It's going to look like 
God coming down and setting things right. God's glory is coming down to you. It is seeing your pain. It's feeling it and experiencing it and then redeeming it. And this is the hope that I have for my dad with cancer. This is why I can live in a way that says no to, I know, to things that I know won't last. This is why I can get up and in my 20s move here and hang out with y'all and not make a bunch of money and travel and get married or live with my girlfriend or do all these things that the world tells you to. It's because I know some things won't last, but the hope and the glory of Jesus, that's going to last. That's going to get me to where I need to go. That's going to bring me healing. That's going to bring me lasting hope. And yeah, um, yeah, that's going to bring me the lasting hope. That's going to sustain me in this life. And I just want to ask, do you know that hope? Do you know that grace that he's offering you right now? When the emotions run dry, when you feel like God's not there, when you can't feel him, when you're doubting or questioning him, do you know this hope and grace? Because it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is everything. He's the one that's coming in glory. He's the one that offers you hope that won't disappoint you. Do you have this hope in this hard, broken world? Do you want it? Are you here just hopeless right now? Do you want to change? Do you want to experience what grace looks like and feels like? Then I suggest running to Jesus because he's the only one. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you.